spiritual disciplines at different times in our lives to train our spiritual senses the way that if we were running a marathon, we would do certain exercises to train our physical bodies. And if we are not training our spiritual bodies, we won't live victorious lives. It's not about just um, having God do something or zap me in a certain way so that it's all taken care of. He does that. He gives us grace. He gives us power. In fact, if you put faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Nothing else is coming. It's there. And if we don't learn to, to discipline ourselves in the way that helps the Spirit out of our lives so that He's not imprisoned inside of us. He didn't come to live in us just so that He could have a nice dwelling. He came so that everywhere we go, He would come out of us. Oh, so good. And we have this month been talking about servanthood. And today we're going to shift a little bit and we're going to talk about a theology of work. A theology of work. As we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, servanthood is a foundational part of the kingdom. And I think uh, Thaddeus did a great job of helping us understand that as we serve, it shapes our perspective. It shapes our character. It bears fruit in our lives. We are taking on the nature of a servant as we serve. And you may not even know it's happening. I read a quote this last week, um, showed up on my Facebook feed from a few years ago. A friend of mine wrote a book, uh, Pastor Jeff Mann, and he talked about every time you read the Bible, something happens. It can't not happen. You may not be aware of it. You may not feel it. You may not understand it, but you can't read the Word of God without something happening and so somewhere down the road that may come out or it may be shifting something on the inside of you that you don't know so just keep reading the word and that's the same thing we serve because it's a part of the kingdom and sometimes I serve even though my attitude and the way I feel is grumpy but I put a lid on my mouth hopefully um, maybe even most of the time and try to serve because I know it's the kingdom value that I want to be a natural part of my character. And so he emphasized last week the opportunities that we have to serve within the body of Christ, especially those. And there are places for you to sign up on Church Center. You can serve in uh, ministry on Sunday mornings at different times of the, the year or the week. There are camps that we need people to go on. There are conferences, kids conference, youth conference that we need chaperones to go to. There are all kinds of ways to get plugged in and serve. Um, but there is this danger in our church world today, at least in the church I grew up in, this idea of the compartmentalized life, the sacred and the secular, you know, where part of my life, you know, is church. And as a pastor, you get this all the time because people that go to church regularly, they'll, they'll swear or something. And you can tell it's something they do all the time, but they'll be like, oh, sorry, pastor. You don't have to be sorry to swear in front of me. I mean, it's. As if, you know, when you're with the pastor, we act one way, but when we're not with the pastor, we act a different way. Or when we're in church, we act one way, and when we're not in church, we act another way. There is no compartmentalized life. Jesus came to bring the kingdom and to invite us to come into the kingdom with every part of our life. Every word, every thought, every action, every activity, everything we are comes into the kingdom. And so sometimes people will say, well, I don't serve in the church, I just serve out in the world. Yeah, okay, 
or well, I I I don't serve you know at, at all, but I, I I try to be a light at work, or you know I try to serve here or there. Everywhere we go, we serve, and so I believe the Bible teaches you should be a part of a body of Christ. You should serve that body. You're a part of the body. I believe that in this community where you live, you should serve the community. Why? Because you're a part of it, and you ought to do something to make that community better. Because that's a part of serving. And chances are, you're an employee somewhere. And I want you today to begin to shift your focus. Because you're not an employee anywhere. You're still a servant. And you're not a servant to a company. You're not a servant to your boss. You're always a servant to the Lord. Everywhere. Whether I'm at church, whether I'm in the community, whether I'm at work, I am his servant and I live like it. I don't just do the minimum at my workplace. I do servant level maximum because that's who I am now that I am in the kingdom of God. So we've been called to come into this kingdom and to recognize that role. A few weeks ago, or actually a few months ago, I was reading a book that was recommended by our general superintendent or general secretary in the Assemblies of God. Her name is Donna Barrett, and she had written an article, and in it she referenced a book about Sabbath rest. And so it's called The Rest of God. I actually have a picture of it that we'll throw up on the screen for you. It's called The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath. And so as we were going through uh, Solitude and Sabbath, I used a lot of this as a resource but there's a, a beginning chapter of this book that when I read it, I was like, huh, we are saving that for later. Because the idea was that you can't learn to Sabbath until you have a good theology of work. And a lot of what I'm going to share with you today, really, I just let him make the outline and really just let him do a lot of the work. And so I want to make sure I give full credit to him. Obviously, I put my own flair on it. So if you don't like something that's said, don't blame Mark Buchanan. Buy the book and make sure he actually said it first. And then you could blame him. Uh, otherwise, you, it might just be me that you disagree with. But before we understand rest, we have to understand work. And it's important because work is a big part of our lives. If you work 40 hours a week at a job, you have to understand that 168 hours in a week we all have. If you sleep six hours a day, okay, maybe some of you more, maybe some of you less, but we'll just go with six, you are now left with about 126 hours, which means a 40-hour work week is about a third of your waking hours. A third of your life is spent at work. And not only that, when we aren't working, we spend more of our time thinking about work, complaining about work, fretting about work, preparing for work, sometimes even recovering from work. In fact, there's a man by the name of Studs Terkel who wrote a book called Working. And all it is, is it's a capitulation of interviews with hundreds of working people about their jobs. And in it, he says this, most people live somewhere between a grudging acceptance of their job and an active dislike of it. That's sad in the kingdom. In other words, most people don't like their job or flat out hate it. 
And yet, he says, most people are still obsessed with their jobs. And he found that the way most people cope is a fantasy. They have this idea that one day they'll have enough to be able to walk away from it all. To fulfill the dream of being the man-child and escape all the obligation and all the responsibility, I'll be able to have enough money, enough resource that I can walk away from it all. And that actually is a very typical response to a burden or a situation that we don't like. Fleeing. But in the kingdom, we understand that fleeing only creates more captivity. Because if we flee from something that threatens us or something that burdens us, we will never stop fleeing. Because there will always be burdens and there will always be things that threaten us. Instead, God's solution is to offer us rest. To be like David and understand that in the midst of those circumstances, God is our refuge and our strength. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. And so we learn to rest in Him. He offers us Himself. And we talked about rest and solitude and Sabbath in the month of December, but rest is also a state of mind, if you will, or a perspective. You can let God be your refuge and your strength at work because you rest in Him. Meaning you don't have to strive to make something happen, to be noticed by your boss, to do something in order to get a promotion or to to put yourself out there or to defend yourself. You can actually rest in the hands of God and trust if you are His servant, working as His servant, not giving the minimum. His servants don't give the minimum. His servants give their best all the time doesn't mean we don't have bad days. It doesn't mean we, we don't even have bad weeks. But we, we reset and we realize I'm better than this because I'm a, I'm a child of the king. This attitude, this is, you're, let me just, before we just even get too far, let's just say this. Your job, my job, is not our problem. Our problem is our perspective of our job. Our problem is our attitude toward our job. It's not our job. And you may change jobs, and you may find short happiness for a time, but I promise you the time will come that that job will just be the same. If you don't learn to shape, change your perspective and change your attitude. Theology of work has to start all the way back in the book of Genesis, because God created work. God is a God who works. In Genesis chapter 1, He created the world. He created everything. In John chapter 4, Jesus tells tells us, my father is always working. He never stops, except maybe on the Sabbath. No, we know what Jesus meant. God is always working. He is a creative God, and he made us in his image to work, to create. It's a part of our nature. In Genesis chapter 1, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. There's your job. Reign over the fish in the sea. And all the fishermen said, Amen. The birds in the sky and all the hunters said, Amen. And all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now, I don't know that that's exactly what that means, but, you know, so that was a little bit of humor there. 
or at least an attempt at it. (laughs) So in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Work. It's a part of who we were created to be. This idea that I can't wait till I can retire and stop creating or stop working, that... That's just not who we were created to be. Statistics show that people that retire early actually die sooner. If they don't find something else to do, to create, you cannot just stop creating and working. It's wired into our being. It's who we were made to be. And work, like everything else in creation, is good. But then we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, there's something that's not good. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So he brings the woman to Adam as his helper. We have a hard time with this word helper because we think of the the term helper as main person helper. Hey, would you help me? Meaning I am the one doing it, but I need your assistance to help me. That's not really what this Hebrew word means. It's, it, it, both of them are equally necessary for the work to be fulfilled. There's no sense of, of hierarchy. There's no sense of subordination anywhere in Genesis 1, 2, or 3. Now, if you want to think that the rest of the Bible has it put somewhere else, great. But not in Genesis 1, 2, or 3. That word helper, in fact, the same word is used in Psalm 54, 4. God is my helper. The same way that Eve is Adam's helper, God is our helper. So there's no sense of hierarchy. It's just for the job to be done, both are equally necessary. And it's hard for us to understand this, but for God's work to be done, both of us are equally necessary. I know he could totally do it without us, but he chooses not to. And he chooses to limit himself so that he works with us. That's who God is. He wants to create together with us. We are co-laborers with Christ Jesus. He doesn't want to do it alone. It has nothing to do with whether he could or couldn't. He doesn't want to. He wants us to create with him. He wants us to learn that as male and female, doing the work that God gave us, ruling the earth, subduing it, and working it. That's in the beginning. Unfortunately, Genesis chapter 3 comes along, and it tells us in verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat until you return to the ground. Apparently, work has changed. Apparently, there was no sweat of the brow. There was no toil and pain involved in work prior to the fall. So now we know because of the fall, work is broken. It is skewed what God meant for good. So if your workplace, if your job is, feels like it's broken, that's because it is. I got news for you. I work at the church, and even it is broken. Because we're people, and we make mistakes, and that's just, that's a part of the fall. But it doesn't change the fact that God said work is good. And I can either fixate fixate on what is broken, or I can fixate on what can be good. And actually try to make what is broken better. 
But at times, I understand that our work feels frustrating. It's almost like what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 18 through 21. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. There is a frustration in our world and the earth is groaning about it. But as children of God, we are to step into our role as caretakers that God designed in the beginning and begin to live out this kingdom lifestyle that brings heaven to earth. And sure, one day it's fully going to come. But for today, let's bring pockets of it everywhere we go, including our workplace. If that's going to happen, we have to shift our perspective. We have to, t to remember that ultimately work is good. It's good. Even on bad days, work is good. Why is it good? Because it gives us the opportunity to provide for ourselves. I mean, it helps us bring home the resources we need for our families to survive. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says, We worked night and day laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Doesn't say the one who is unable to work. There are people that are unable to work. And the Bible actually calls us as believers to share with those. It doesn't say government take care of those. It says people of God take care of those who cannot work. But people who are unwilling to work. Why? Because it's, it's built into us. We should work. And it doesn't mean that we should look down on people that are unwilling to work. It means that we should walk alongside of them and help them grow in willingness to work. It also not only gives us the ability to provide for ourselves, it gives us the ability to partner with God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It doesn't say the Christian parts of the world are the Lord's. It says the earth is the Lord's. Every part, every part of our community is the Lord's. And it's our job as believers to work for the betterment of our community according to kingdom principles and value. And it doesn't mean we have to overtly be preachy. Sometimes we just serve. Sometimes we just love. Sometimes we just do something that makes the life of someone else better. Ephesians 4.28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Over the last couple of weeks as we've gone over that idea of every part of the body needs to serve, everybody has a part, that goes beyond the church body. Every part of us, every one of us has a part in the community that God wants us to play, a part in our workplace that God wants us to play. Everywhere we go is holy ground, and everything we do is sacred. This idea that that pastors have these the, the Lord's work and the rest of the people are just doing other work. No, it's all His work. Everything we do 
If your garbage is sitting out in the front of your house and uh, it's been sitting there for three weeks and the can is full and there's bags everywhere, don't call the preacher. I mean, yes, I should be a servant and come and help you, but where would I take it? We need people to pick up the garbage. What kind of community would we live in if people did not pick up our garbage? Now, that leads us into a conversation we should probably have about the type of garbage we have and how we should be better caretakers of the earth, but we won't get into that today. So, we need every single job. Not only do we need to change our perspective about work, reminding ourselves it's good. It gives us a chance to co-labor with God, even on bad days. Remind yourself, work is good, work is good, work is good. But we also have to rest in God. We have to trust that I am where he wants me to be right now. I mean, I know that we could be in rebellion. We could have taken a job that he didn't want us to take. But here's, here's what I know. Even if I'm in rebellion, he knew I would be in rebellion. And he knew where I would be in that job. And I don't actually have to change anything but my own attitude and perspective and maybe repent that I took the job without his permission for his blessing and favor to rest on me. See, this idea that I have to shift jobs or shift roles or shift something, the only thing that has to shift is internal. Repent. And then times of refreshing can come from the Lord. Now, after you repent, he may pull you out of that and say, here's what I originally designed you for and lead you somewhere else. But if you just leave with a grumpy attitude, you'll take that grumpy attitude everywhere you go. So this idea that we rest in God, even when the job is hard, even when it's difficult, I know that some people make their job look fun and exciting, but I promise you everybody has hard parts of their job that they wish weren't there. But when we rest in the Lord, we do what Colossians 3.23 says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whether you and I get paid for a job or how much we get paid for a job should never change how how well we work. How well I work should be the same whether it's volunteer or whether I'm getting paid three, three digits, six digits. I don't care. Kingdom is kingdom. And we're servants no matter where we are. We should be the best employee at our workplace. In fact, if you're not a good employee at your workplace, don't start sharing the gospel. Ouch. Yeah, because what you do is you bring reproach on the name of the Lord. Work and be a good employee, and that shares the gospel. And then share the gospel with people. And tell them why you work the way you do. Why do you do things that aren't your job? Why do you go beyond? Why do you do the extra? Why are you so, uh, why do you have such a good attitude about it? Why do you always look for the positive in others? Why don't you join in the gossip? Why? Why? Because I work for him. And although my employer may say I'd be allowed to do this, he says no. And I'm going to follow him. We look at the apostles. And if you remember when Jesus called some of them, four of them were fishermen. And he comes along the shore, and Luke chapter 5 tells this story. And Jesus comes along, and he calls these guys to leave their nets and follow him. And sometimes we mistakenly conclude that he was calling them to leave a job that was useless and called them into ministry, and that was more useful. Um, 
Now, I think some people are called to fish. In fact, Jesus wouldn't have been able to perform the miracle of feeding the 5,000 if somebody wasn't fishing. It doesn't mean that everybody is called to serve in a, a ministry position where you get paid. I mean, it is in the scripture, the idea of a vocational calling to the church and to the church work, but that's not for all. And that doesn't mean that the work you do is not the Lord's work. In fact, I believe Jesus told them at a time when they probably hated their jobs. Remember, they had fished all night and didn't catch anything, and they're washing and mending their nets. And so this is probably a time had Jesus just walked up and said, hey, guys, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Praise God, I'm getting out of this dead-end job. Hallelujah. I've been waiting for this day. No, what does he do first? He says, hey, put your net, go out and put your nets on the other, out there on the other side. And Peter's like, Lord, we have fished all night. But because you say so, I'm sure he said it much more respectful than that. We're going to do it. And what happened? They brought in more fish than they'd, their nets were breaking. They'd never seen anything like this. And in that moment, the pinnacle of their career, he says, now come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. It's about the cost factor of following him. He didn't come to them on their bad days when their job was like, oh, get me out of here. He went, boom, everything is, wow. What? We're going to walk away today? And yet they left everything and they followed him. But if God has called you to fish, then fish. If God has called you to fill teeth, then fill teeth. If he's called you to collect garbage, collect garbage or grow cabbage. Or, because somebody needs to do these things. Whatever God has called you to do, work at it with all your heart. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, when Paul's talking about people preaching the good news, he says, how can they go unless they're sent? Where does it come from? Does God just rain down money from heaven? No, he uses his people to support others who go. Some go, some give, some pray. It's, it's, and every single part of it is necessary. We're all helping Build the kingdom. The Apostle Paul called his, his friends in Philippi his partners in the gospel. Partners. All they did was send him offerings. How are they partners in the kingdom? It's equal share. Everything the Apostle Paul did, and he accomplished quite a bit, goes on the account of every person that participated in ministry with him through praying and through giving. That's the kingdom. And so we do that work, but we also do the work of whatever God has called us to do. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, here, here's, here we see the vocational ministry. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Yes, there's a vocational ministry in the church. But let's go to Exodus chapter 31. This is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Exodus 31, the Lord said to Moses, look, I have specifically chosen Bezael, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Now remember, who was in charge of the, the tabernacle, the ministry? It was the tribe of Levi. But here's one from Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom and ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts. I have not received that gift from the Lord. Number the verse four. Here is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold and silver and bronze. He is a skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft, and I have personally 
appointed Aholiab, son of Ahikamashaph, I should have like taken that one out, of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Do you see this? To be his helper. Tribe of Judah, tribe of Dan, working in craftsmen, their, their partners. And the verse 11, the, the most important part of this, the craftsmen must make everything as I've commanded you. The Levites couldn't do it. The Levites couldn't prepare the tabernacle. They were supposed to work the tabernacle, but someone else had to build it. Every part of our work is the Lord's work. There were 12 tribes of Israel. One of them was chosen to do the priestly work, but all of them were called to be a kingdom of priests. The priestly work was supposed to show the rest of them what a priest looked like so that they would be a kingdom of priests, putting God on display everywhere they went. All of the nations were supposed to come because of the kingdom of priests and the lifestyle that these kingdom of priests lived. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, 9, Peter now tells us, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special possession, to declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And all over our community, all week long, we're going to be spread out. And there are going to be other believers from other churches spread out in workplaces, bringing the kingdom just by serving in that workplace. Martin Luther was quoted as saying, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. Praise God. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Being the best you at whatever job you're working at speaks volumes, especially when you start speaking the gospel. If you're making shoddy shoes and putting crosses on them, what does that say about the kingdom? But if you're making the best shoe you can, and then you put a cross on it, what does that say about the kingdom? We give our best. In Ephesians chapter 6, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them at all times, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm, even if you have to fake it. I added that part, but I'm sure Paul meant it. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember the Lord will reward each of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul talks about people that were slaves. He, and he says, hey, if you were a slave when you came into the kingdom, you can serve God as a slave. You don't, now, slavery for the biblical times is not like slavery we know in modern day America. Not the same. Okay? But what these believers who were slaves were thinking was the only way they could serve God is if they were free. And Paul says, no, no, you can serve God as a slave. You can serve God even if your master is cruel and harsh. You can. You can, do, you can have the perspective and the attitude to serve God in that moment. Now, he also says, if you have a chance to get your freedom, well, then by all means, get free. But you don't need to change in order to serve me. That's what he's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So Mark Buchanan, in his book, says this. The opposite of a slave is not a free man, it's a worshiper. The one who is most free is the one who turns the work of his hands into sacrament, into offering. All he makes and all he does are gifts from God, through God, 
and to God. Just as simple bread and juice when we eat and drink them in the spirit of thanksgiving and faith become the very presence of Christ, so simple tasks, preparing sermons, cooking soup, cutting grass, growing corn, when done in the same spirit, are holy. It's all the Lord's work. Virtually any job, no matter how grueling or tedious, any job that is not criminal or sinful can be a gift from God, through God, and to God. The work of our hands, by the alchemy of our devotion, becomes the worship of our hearts. And more, work done in such a spirit has the power to reveal Christ himself. It not only makes Christ attractive, it makes Christ known. In other words, it says when you are the best employee you can be at work, it actually invites the presence of Christ into your workplace. The same way we talked about when we overcome evil with good, it invites the kingdom. We invite the kingdom when we serve well, even if we're mistreated at the workplace. I'm not telling you there's never a time to change your job. That's not my role in your life. You have the Holy Spirit. What has God called you to do? Some of you may know that God has called you to do whatever it is that you're doing. Some of you may wonder what it is that you're doing and whether God has ever spoken to you at all. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says this, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. You know, if you've never heard my story, I share it at all of our, our partnership classes, the Restoration 101 classes that we offer. I talk about how I was picked up for shoplifting after I graduated high school, and uh, I had dreams and plans to go study political science. I wanted to be a U.S. senator. I wanted to study law and government. I wanted to teach. Like, that was what I wanted, and that was my dream. It wasn't working out, and then after that, um, I made a decision that I needed to go to Bible school. And so I went to the library, got one of those big old thick books. I keep one in my office as a constant reminder. And in that book, I was looking for an Assemblies of God Bible College. Okay, we didn't have internet, so that's what I was. And I was looking for this Bible college that would have cross-country and was Assemblies of God. And I found Trinity Bible College in Ellendale, North Dakota. If you doubt there is a God, <laughs> let me show you that book. Because the chances of me finding that book and in that moment... Um, I, I have seen the, the footprints of God leading me. And I promise you, when I got to Trinity, uh, I had never been to North Dakota. If you're from North or South Dakota, please don't be offended by this. But I thought, dear God, where am I? Um, it's in the middle of nowhere. Like, I grew up in a town of only 65,000 people, but uh, it's connected to the next town and the next town and the next town. And there's no such thing as nothing for miles, and so I just didn't know where I was, and I hated that first year, and I had other friends that actually even encouraged me to transfer back to Valley Forge Christian College in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, a beautiful suburb of Philadelphia, would have been wonderful, and I actually had the cross-country coach tell me they would give me a scholarship to run there, and uh, they couldn't give me an athletic one, but he would find some money, and we could, uh, I'd get this scholarship, and I could go there, hope I'm allowed to say that on tape, and he's not going to get in trouble, but uh, we, we, I mean, I, I wanted it so bad, but I stayed at Trinity Bible College. And there were times I thought, Lord, how did I get here? Like, why did I come here? Was this just me? Was this, was, was this just over an, an overreaction? But I promise you there are benchmarks as I look back of ways that God had showed that this was what he was always looking for. 
always leading me to. And I have been now in the Dakotas for so long that I actually like it here. And I go back to visit Pennsylvania, and I'm like, I could never live here. <laughs> so it's just crazy. Um, I love the city, but God took a guy who loves the city. I recharge in the middle of any metropolitan city in the world. Oh, it's like heaven on earth. But here I live. And yet there are days I have to doubt, was I ever, is this where you wanted me? Is this where, but God has always been faithful. And so I, I promise you, if you feel like my, your life has just been a bunch of random choices and you've just made crazy decisions and now you're working this crazy job, just start working that job as if God called you to it and that's his work for you and you give yourself 110% to it. And I promise you, if God has something else in store, he'll start speaking to you. If you start seeking him, he'll show you the next step or he'll just bless you in what you thought was your own decision. I promise you, God is at work in our lives even before we turn to Him. He is always after us. He is relentlessly pursuing us. And so, wherever you are, serve God with all of your heart. With your co-workers, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Honor one another above yourself. Start honoring your co-workers. I don't care whether you think they deserve it or not, honor them. It doesn't say honor others that you think deserve it. It says honor everyone above yourself. Honor them. Your relationship with your boss, 1 Peter chapter 2.18, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. I know that's easier to preach than it is to live every single day, 40 hours a week. I know, I'm not trying to make light of it, but you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You can work in any situation, I promise you. If you tap into the Spirit and you shift your perspective to this is where God has called me and I'm going to give myself fully to Him. If you're a boss, maybe you're uh, a self-employed person or you're a boss and you're thinking about customer service, you shouldn't do customer service because you want people to come back. You should do customer service because every person that you serve has the image of God imprinted on them. And that's why you ought to serve them well. But if you're a boss, Isaiah 58 says this, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. If you don't treat your employees well, you will not attract the kingdom. You need to treat your employees well. Not just fair, graciously, generously. You want to attract the kingdom? Be generous. That's the nature of the kingdom. I want to read one last quote, and then I want to pray. This kind of sums up maybe what I've shared, some of what Mark shared in his chapter, and uh, then I want to pray over you and commission you to go out to wherever you're going because you guys are going all over the place this week and I'm excited about what God can do. But this is what he says. Whatever you can do with a clean conscience, you can do to the glory of God. No work is so menial that it cannot be rendered as worship. As I began to knead the reality of that truth into the details of my tasks, my attitude changed dramatically. I found joy in toil. My attitude, once toxic, turned tonic. I was not just inspired for the work, I became, for others, inspiring in it. What if your work became worship? What if the work of your hands, repairing lawnmowers, scouring pots, paving streets, mending bones, balancing ledgers, was Eucharist? 
a sacrament of God's presence that you gave and received? What if Jesus himself was your boss, the one who watched over you and whom you honored with your efforts? Here's a radical idea. Next time you're tempted to complain about your work, praise God for it instead. Next time you open your mouth to gossip about people you work with or smear those you work with, stop yourself and turn in the other direction. Pray for them. Thank God for them. Find the good in them. The next time you want to quit, pour that into worship. Why not right now? Put down the book and take up Eucharist-like the work of your hands. Lift it to God. This is what we're going to do as we end today. You're going to lift your, your work to God. Lift it to God. Receive it with thanksgiving. Offer it with sincerity. Name the ways this work has blessed you, provided for you, allowed you to be a blessing. Pray for those you work with, your employees, your employers, your colleagues, your clients. Look at the things around you that your work has provided, the clothes you wear, the shoes you walk in, the food in fridge and cupboard, the table you eat at, the car you drive. Even if it's not much, it's more than nothing. Say something like this. God, I praise you that there is food to spare in this home. I praise you that I was able to pay the electric bill this month to cook that food and had a chair I could sit in to partake in it. What would be different if you and I went about our week with that type of perspective? And so here's the thing. And if, you, if you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, um, that's a work that God has for you in this season. And that's just as important as someone who has a 40-hour work week, and I don't know why I waited till the end of the sermon to say it. Okay? So you're included in this too. But what I want us to do is I want us to stand together. And if you have a job, and if that job is a stay-at-home dad, a stay-at-home mom, doesn't matter where you go to work, and you are willing to say, God, I'm going to start working for you. Maybe your attitude has been pretty good for the most part. And maybe there's only a few little minor adjustments. I'm guessing all of us at least have to make some minor adjustments. But maybe you've been terrible. And maybe the idea of complaining, maybe that's just regular with you. Repent. Come to him today and say, God, I'm just, I'm working for you from this day forward. And I want everything I do to honor you. And so I want you to, if you've got a job, put your hands out in a posture like this. We're just, this is a receiving posture. And we're going to ask God for the grace that we need to serve Him in our workplaces. And so God, I just thank you today that in our hearts we plan our course. But it's you that determines our steps. God, even before one of our days ever came to be, every day of our lives was written in your book. And all of the mistakes that we would make and all of the problems that we would create and all of the poor choices and all of the, the wrong turns, you have weaved it into the plan that you have for us. You have never had to alter the plan and the purpose that you've had for us because you've been able to work even the, the, the most ridiculous mistakes that we've ever made into that plan. And you don't do it grudgingly. You do it with love. And you never stop pursuing us. And so I pray today for those that feel like they're wandering. <laughs> In the words of the song, God, that you would bind those wandering hearts to you today. That they would no longer feel like 
that the, the, the decisions of their life have been random and haphazard, but God, that you've been with them every step of the way. Not, maybe not every decision was perfect, but God, you're ordering their steps today. And wherever they are, they can begin to work for you and serve you in that workplace, in that job, in that field, in whatever it is, whatever season they're in. So God, I pray just for peace to settle on their hearts. I pray for grace to be able to serve you well in that, in that place. God, I pray for those that are in difficult jobs. Maybe they have a boss that is very cruel, maybe very harsh. God, maybe a boss that even lies about them. I just pray, give them grace to see beyond that boss, to see that you stand over that boss. And God, you are working all things for their good. And give them grace to trust you. Give them grace to yield, to shift their perspective, to shift their attitude. God, to recognize when they've made a wrong choice in, in word or in deed, and to repent. Father, I pray for our stay-at-home moms and our stay-at-home dads today. God, thank you for the privilege for them to be able to, to in these years with their children, develop a strong foundation in their lives. And God, on days when maybe they're ready to pull their hair out and feel like they've accomplished nothing, Holy Spirit, remind them that you have them exactly where you want them. That you would be the fulfillment that their heart needs in those moments. So God, for this team that is about to step out into this community, that's about to step out into this region, this area, and serve you in different capacities this week. God, we want your kingdom to come and invade our workplaces. And so, Holy Spirit, give us the perspective and the attitudes we need to invite your kingdom into every workplace that's represented, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. And uh, I want to encourage you again, if you haven't stopped at the table yet, stop by the table in the lobby on your way out. A lot of information there. If you're a guest, please make sure you, you grab a gift before you go. And uh, offering baskets are there as well. God bless you as you go. Thanks for being here today. streets to open plains we are under one name no one is lost or goes unseen because we're all loved by our king this is nothing ordinary